Welcome to this podcast from Kingdom Faith Yorkshire. Today's speaker is Colin Urquhart. Well, it's very good to be with all of you at Scarborough. I pray for you regularly and pray for God's favor to continue to be upon you in the town and the district and beyond. And it's wonderful to have the opportunity simply to share the truth of God's word with you. And that's exactly what we're going to do during this session because we're going to look at some of the things in Scripture that we read often, but I wonder whether we really take them fully to heart and realize the full implications of them. Let me start by asking you a question. When you think about Jesus, can you imagine there being anything imperfect about him? Either before he became man, when he became man, and now that he's reigning in glory in heaven? The answer to that is, well, no. Jesus must have been perfect. He must even have lived in perfection while he was on earth because he made the perfect sacrifice that covered all of our sins, all of our failure, and all of our imperfections. So if his sacrifice hadn't been a perfect one, none of us would have had salvation. So clearly, everything about Jesus is perfect. And what about heaven? Is your perception of heaven that, that is the place of perfection, there'll be no more tears, no more grief, no more sorrow, no more pain, no sickness. Everything there will be perfect. In fact, when Lucifer, who led the angelic choirs in worship of God, when he sinned through his pride, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven immediately. Anything impure, just could not exist in heaven. So Lucifer and any angels that followed him in his rebellion immediately were cast out of heaven. Just as when Adam and Eve sinned, they were immediately cast out of the garden of paradise. You cannot have anything imperfect in Christ or indeed in heaven. So, how are we going to understand this scripture then? Because Paul, when he's writing to the Ephesians, says to them in chapter 1, verse 13, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance that is to come. You, and Paul is addressing everyone in the church in Ephesus, just as God's word now addresses everyone in every church today, you also were included in Christ. Now, how could God put you into Christ unless, first of all, he made you perfect? because we've just seen you cannot have anything imperfect in Christ. Also, you're probably aware of the scripture that says that 
God sees us already seated with Christ in heavenly places. Not, not in the future, once you've died and have gone to heaven. God sees you seated in him now at this time, even while you're here on earth. He sees you seated in Christ in heavenly places. How can that be? if there can be nothing imperfect in heaven. And how can it be that in some sense we can know, experience something of that heavenly glory even while we're here in this life on earth? Now, of course, these are questions which the scripture gives us the answers to. Because what God has done has made us perfect in Christ. Not he will make us perfect in the future, but he's already done that. Now, how has he done that? Well, first of all, you only come to know God when you repent of your sins, are forgiven by him, and you give your life to him so that he is Lord in your life. So that forgiveness of sins washes away everything that we were guilty of, all our failure, all our rebellion against God and against his authority, anything that is not his will and his plan and his purpose for us is immediately removed from our lives. Now, what does that make us? Well, that makes us, the scripture says, blameless. Paul says when he's writing to Ephesians that God has called us to be holy and blameless in his sight. Not in the future, but now. So God wants you to be blameless in his sight. That means he doesn't blame you for the things for which you were responsible. And when we confess our sins, we admit that we were responsible for those sins. We're, we're not trying to excuse ourselves. We're saying, I did wrong. I was wrong in what I did. Please, Lord, forgive me. And what the scripture says is that his forgiveness is so complete that it makes us blameless. And there are several scriptures about how blameless we are in the sight of God now because of his forgiveness. Paul, when he's writing to the Romans, speaks at length about the righteousness of God. Now, the righteousness of God means that we are in right relationship with him and that he sees that what is happening in our lives is right in his eyes. So we are made righteous when we are made totally acceptable to God. God loves everybody as they are. He loves even sinners. He loves even those who oppose him but we're not truly acceptable to him until we are made righteous in his sight. And Paul goes to great lengths to explain that people have always thought that their righteousness depends upon what they do, that they must act in certain ways to impress God so that they become righteous in his sight. And he's saying that's totally impossible because Nobody actually walks and lives in perfect righteousness. And then he, he shows us that the gospel of Jesus Christ 
the gospel that Jesus came and established through his death and resurrection actually teaches us that righteousness, being in right relationship, being totally acceptable to God, is a gift from God to all those who repent, who turn to him, ask for his forgiveness, and put their faith and trust in him as their Lord and Savior. So righteousness is not something we acquire, it's not something we can earn, and it's never anything that we can deserve. This is the mercy of God. He gives us the gift of righteousness. So we read in the first letter of John that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, if you're cleansed from all unrighteousness, that makes you righteous in his sight totally acceptable. So you see, we've been made blameless, righteous, totally accepted in God's sight. Then Paul also says that God has sanctified us, that is, made us holy. Now, God in his essential nature is holy. And his command in both the Old and New Testament is, Be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. In other words, he wants us to reflect his own nature and character. But it doesn't matter how hard you try, you will never succeed in living a life of holiness if you simply depend upon your own human resources. And just as righteousness is a gift, so that holiness is a gift. You see, the scripture says, you have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. You have been made holy. You have been made as Jesus is. You have actually been made as the nature of God is. That divine nature, Peter says, is in you and has given you everything you need for life and godliness. So God has actually put his holiness, his godliness, into you. And then we read also in uh, the letter to Hebrews that those he has made holy, he has made perfect forever. Now, the tenses of verbs in Scripture are very important because they tell us what God has done, what he's doing now, and what he promises to do in the future. And this is past tense. This is historic. God has already made perfect those who are being made holy. So here we have all this evidence in the scripture that you have been made blameless, guiltless in the sight of God. You have been made righteous, totally acceptable in his sight. That you have been made holy even as God is holy. You have been made perfect forever. Now all this when we look at ourselves, seems totally unrealistic. Because you know yourself well enough to know that you do, sadly, still sin. Sometimes you grieve the Lord. Sometimes you choose to please yourself rather than Him. Sometimes you can be selfish or jealous or, or boastful, proud. You can judge, you can criticize, you can do all kinds of things which you know are inconsistent with God's word. And that's why you need to confess your sins so that he constantly forgives you. 
and his mercies are new every day because we need his mercies every day because we fail to live in this perfection which it seems that God has given us. You know, therefore, that you do not live a totally holy life. You are certainly not perfect. Even in your mind, you know you can have unholy thoughts, unholy desires. You can do unholy things. It's even possible for a Christian to have unholy relationships. So how can we put these two things together? That you're blameless, made righteous, made holy, made perfect forever in God's sight, and yet at the same time you can sin, do things that are unrighteous, have unholy thoughts and desires, and you can certainly be well aware that you are not living in perfection. It seems that the two things cannot go together, and yet they do, because what the Scripture teaches us is that we have to distinguish between our spirit and our soul. Now, let's take those first series of truths. These are the truths about your spirit. When did they become true for you? The very first minute that you were saved. What it means to be saved is that at that moment, God made you blameless, righteous, holy, perfect forever. The very first second, really, but let's, let's just call it the first minute you were saved, that is what God did for you. Now, your soul is your natural life, your natural human life. Your mind, the way you think, your emotions, the way you feel, your will, the decisions that you make. So, even if all those things are true for you in the spirit, in your soul, in your natural life, you can see sin, weakness, failure, imperfection, unholiness, unrighteousness. So it seems that these two things are going on side by side in, in your life. Now, how, how does God want that to be worked out in our lives? Well. His desire is those spiritual truths, what he has done for you, what he has given you, what he has made you in the spirit, impacts your soul life so that instead of just living in your natural feelings and failure, you live in the spirit. You live in Christ Jesus. You live in the good of what he has done for you. So the only way that that can happen is by the soul, your natural life, is being submitted to the Spirit, your life in Christ Jesus. You could not be in Christ Jesus unless he first made you perfect. So <clears throat> we have this understanding then that what God wants is for these spiritual truths to impact my natural life, my soul life, more and more increasingly. So the scripture also talks to us about the way that that happens, the process by, that, by which that happens. That God, the God of all peace, wants to sanctify us through and through spirit, soul, and body. 
In other words, he wants your soul and your body to reflect the life of the Spirit that God has put within you. And remember, the Holy Spirit that is God's gift to you, of course, is perfect because he is God. So there's nothing imperfect about the Holy Spirit. Not only that, but God has put his kingdom within you. Jesus said to the disciples, Fear not, little flock, your Father has chosen to give you the kingdom. And then he explained the kingdom is not a place. You can't say the kingdom is over here or over there. But the kingdom of God is within you and the kingdom of God is among you. So here you have all these great truths of being blameless and righteous and holy, made perfect forever. You have the spirit of God living within you. You have Christ in you, the hope of glory. You have his kingdom in which there can be nothing imperfect within you. So God wants that, all those truths, to impact your soul life, your natural life, your own human life, increasingly, so that you are transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, from glory to glory, that that is a process whereby more and more of the spiritual life, of the spiritual truths, impact, change, transform your natural life so that you reveal more and more of Jesus, more and more of the life of God's kingdom, more and more really of the heavenly life because the kingdom of God is the kingdom of heaven. So there's a sense in which God has put all the riches and resources of heaven within you so that they can be reflected in your life. And that is, of course, what Jesus was teaching us to pray. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, Jesus would only teach us to pray like that if he knew that it was going to be made possible by what God did in us and through us. So God's purpose is that we are being transformed so that we become more and more like him. Now, the importance of what I'm talking to you about is this. Your faith and your confidence before God depends upon believing what I'm talking to you about this today. You see, if you know that you can come before the throne of God, the throne of God's grace, as we are bidden to do in the epistle to Hebrews. But if you come with a clear conscience, with a good heart, in full assurance of faith, you are going to have confidence that God is not only going to hear you, but he's going to answer you. That you're going to be able to take hold of the riches and resources of God's kingdom that he has made available to you as one who belongs to the kingdom and in whom the kingdom of God lives. So, you see, it's understanding our starting point. Our starting point is what God has made us right at the beginning of our Christian experience. So you start every day, you... you when you come before God in, in prayer or in worship, it's good to know that you come in the good of all the truths of the first minute, that you stand before God not as someone who is a miserable sinner, who is, is, is a failure. You don't want to spend all your, your time before God saying, oh, Lord, I'm, I'm just so dreadful, I'm so awful, I'm so terrible. No, God wants you to, to come before him saying, Lord, I thank you that through your mercy and through your grace, through the power of your blood, you have made me blameless. 
You have forgiven all my sins. You have made me righteous. You have made me holy. You have made me perfect forever. You have put your perfect Holy Spirit to live within me, and I can live in the perfection of your heavenly kingdom. The church isn't perfect. It's full of spots and wrinkles, but there's no sin about the kingdom of God. That's why we cannot say that the church is the kingdom. What God wants is for the people in his church to reflect more and more the life of his kingdom. So you see, this is your starting point. You come with confidence. Now, sadly, the difference between you, me, and Jesus is that when he became man, he lived in his soul life, in his natural life, in perfect submission to his Father. You see, even Jesus said of himself, I can do nothing myself. I do only the things I see my Father doing. In other words, he never acted in his soul life independently of his Father. He said, I haven't come to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Why? He, he wanted that perfection that he knew in heaven to be demonstrated on earth. And what we actually see in the life of Jesus is the possibility, what is possible if a human being lives in perfection? That all the things that Jesus did, even calming the storm, performing miracles, as well as healings, all those things came out of his perfection. If we lived in perfection, we could do the same things as Jesus, just almost naturally, or supernaturally naturally. <laughs> but because we live in imperfection, we cannot reflect all the perfection that we have in Christ. But the good news is this, the imperfections that we experience in our own natural lives do not destroy or take away any of the perfection that we have in Christ. So even if I sin and I fail God and I, have, I do unrighteous things, have unholy thoughts, or fail in some way to live in that perfection, that does not in any way take away my acceptance in Christ, my righteousness in Him, my holiness in Him, my perfection in Him, that I am blameless and guiltless in His sight because of the cleansing and the forgiveness of His blood. This is the good news. This is the gospel. Nothing less than this. It isn't that I'm a miserable sinner, a failure, and, and all, all I can do is, is just come before God and say, oh Lord, I'm such a wretched, awful, terrible person. That's what I was before I was saved, but now I am one who is living in Christ and in whom Christ lives. In my natural self, I am still nothing, but in Christ, I am intensely, immensely valuable even to God, because he has called me, he has chosen me, just as he has called you and chosen you and put you into Christ. Now, you see, this is going to affect the whole way in which we approach God and the will of God in our lives. You see, I'm not going to say to God, make me holy, make me righteous, make me perfect, make me blameless. He says, I've already done that 
It's only sin and your own weakness that prevents that from being revealed more fully in your life. So you just come to me and confess those sins, ask for my forgiveness, and you are restored immediately to the person you are in Christ Jesus with all those blessings, blameless, innocent, without sin, made perfect, righteous, holy. So it requires a really a change of mind, doesn't it? And that's what repentance is. Repentance is having a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of understanding, a change of what you believe. And you begin to see yourself, yes, this is, this is who I am in Christ. This is, this is therefore the way I can live, and God has put his Holy Spirit into me to enable me to live according to the truths of the first minute that I was saved. Now you can see, therefore, that to keep looking at yourself is going to have a detrimental effect because you're never going to find any of those things in yourself. You only find all those great blessings in Christ. This is why the scripture says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus, not yourself. The more you look at yourself, the more faith actually drains out of you. The more you look at Jesus, the more faith rises up within you. And the more you understand that you are in Christ and he is in you, despite the weakness of your soul life, then the more you can live in dependence upon him and see his life transforming you increasingly into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. Now, it is essential to understand that that transformation can only take place if it's what you want. God has made all those great truths, truths about you as a believer. But those truths will just remain truths that are sort of academic and theoretical rather than actual and re real in your experience unless you believe them about yourself. And unless it's the desire of your heart for that life that he has given you in Christ to be reflected in your daily life, day by day. In other words, it's time to agree with Jesus. It's a time to agree with the Word of God that that is what He has already made you. Now, if we say that we are without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we've got to beware of, of saying, well, I'm perfect because Jesus Christ has made me perfect. Yes, he's made me perfect in the spirit, but I do not yet live in that perfection. So if we say that we, we, we do not sin, we deceive ourselves. If, if, we, if we think, oh, well, that's all right. It doesn't matter how I live now because I have that perfection in Christ. We've misunderstood completely the will and the purpose of God. That all those things are true so that they become increasingly reflected in the way we live our lives day by day. Now, you have to understand, therefore, what lies behind all that God has done for you. 
You see, we can know, well, I ought to be holy. I ought to be righteous. I ought to be perfect because Jesus said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. I ought to depend upon the Holy Spirit. I ought to do this. I ought to do that. And every time you think like that, you're actually living by law, not by love. When your attitude is, I ought, that's law. But consider this. What love God must have for you because before you were saved, he was conscious of all the sin and the filth and the ungodliness and the failure and all the rubbish in our lives that now he's washed away forever. There'll be no mention of those things ever. He not only forgives, he forgets. He removes our sin from us as far as east is from west. What love. What love lies behind the fact that God has given you every spiritual blessing in heavenly places? Not he will in the future. He has already done that. What love has made you holy, blameless, righteous in his sight? What love has given you eternal life? What love has given you the gift of the Holy Spirit, of God himself to live within you? What love has put Christ in you, the hope of glory? What love has given you the gift of the kingdom? You see, if we are to see this transforming work of Jesus in our lives, it's going to happen because we love him. Not because we ought to do this or we ought to do that or we ought to be this or we ought to be that. The gospel takes us beyond law into the realms of God's love, of his grace and of his mercy towards us every day. If you love the Lord, you are going to be like Jesus in that you want the will of God in your life. You want to be more like him. You want God to transform you into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. Not this is what should happen, this is what you want to happen. Therefore, you want to submit your natural soul life to the Spirit, to God. That every day of your life, you submit yourself afresh in spirit, soul, and body to the Lord for His will, for His purpose, that more and more of His life will be reflected in you. You want that. Not you should want it, you genuinely want it. This is your heart. Lord, I love you. And therefore, I want what you want. 
in my life. And I want you to do it. Yes, it's going to involve denying yourself because Jesus made that clear. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow after me. So there's going to be a self-denial. But then you're willing to deny yourself so that more of the love of Jesus can be reflected in your life. Now, when we read the first letter of John, we can see that we can't fool ourselves about this business of loving God. That if we love God who we do, who, who do, we, who we do not see, then we are able to love our brother who we do see. And if we don't love our brother who we do see, then we cannot love God who we do not see. That anyone who says, I love God, but doesn't love the people that God puts immediately around him or her, then they're fooling themselves. They do not genuinely love God. That if we love God, we will love our brother also, our sister also. We will love the lost. We will love the people that God causes to to come into our orbit of experience every day of our lives. We will love simply because that love of God is filling our hearts. And the scripture says that God has poured that love, he's poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So that love is there within you if you have received the Holy Spirit. But it's only because of the way in which we surrender ourselves, we yield ourselves, we give ourselves to God, that that love then becomes real in our experience, in our relationships, in the things that we do, in the things that we say, in the attitudes that we have. That everything is really tinted with that love. It's infused with that love. It's that which makes us what the Bible calls the sweet perfume of Christ. The sweetness of God, the goodness of God is somehow seen in your life and in my life because of the way in which we want that love and we want all those truths to become increasingly true in our lives. That we don't sin and grieve the Lord so much that, that we allow the Father, to do his pruning work. Do you remember when Jesus talked about living in Christ uh, to the disciples at the Last Supper? He used this analogy of him being the true vine and they were the branches of the vine. And the Father, the Father in heaven, is the one who tends this vine. He looks after it. And yes, he cuts out of the vine the fruitless branches, but even the fruitful branches, he prunes in order that they may be more fruitful still. At this season, uh, all the acorns are are falling from the oak trees. And uh, I I go for my prayer walk every morning and I pass under some oak trees and there are hundreds, if not thousands, of acorns under one tree. But you know, that tree began just with a single seed. And this is it. You see, the seed of Jesus' life when he was on earth fell into the ground and died. And out of his death, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions, billions even, have come to salvation, have come to know the Lord. But you see, while that acorn is is in your hand, 
it can accomplish nothing. It has to fall into the ground and die. That hard shell has to be broken open so that the seed within can then germinate and become the oak tree, which will then produce thousands of acorns year after year after year. And our lives are like that. The moment that we have truly surrendered and said, Lord, I thank you that your word says I have died and my life is now hidden with Christ in God. Now, how can your life be hidden with Christ in God unless first he made you perfect? Because you can't have anything imperfect in him, in God. But you see, you died. Jesus took you to the cross. Paul could say, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now, that's what needs to be the truth, the reality in our lives day by day. I no longer live. That, that sinner that once I was, that selfish person, that proud person. No, no, that's not the one who lives now. The one who lives now is Christ in me. And the more I, I submit and surrender my life to him, the more he transforms me into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. I can only love because he first loved me. That's what the scripture says. So I have to appreciate just how much, how great, how extensive, how full is the love of God for me if I'm to love him in the way that he desires. And if that love is then going to flow, overflow into the lives of other people, It's not enough to say, well, you know, there's a kind of a compromise in my life. There's a bit of Jesus and, and some of me. And yeah, yes, you know, I know there ought to be more of Jesus. There ought to be, there ought to be, there ought to be, there ought to be. That's law. But when I want that, that's love. And you know yourself well enough to know if you truly want something, you'll do all you can to get it. Well, we can't earn God's love. We don't have to because he already loves us with that perfect love. But if we want that love to be reflected in our lives, then we're going to do what we can in the way in which we surrender and submit ourselves to him and to his will. Now, I could talk for a long time about what this means and the outworking. We haven't got much time now. But what I can say is this principle, that in the final analysis, it, it comes down to this. Am I going to live for myself or for others? You see, I can only live for God if I live for others. That's the message of the first letter of John. If I think I'm living for God without living for others, I'm deceiving myself, I'm fooling myself, and the truth is not in me. But if I'm living for others to express Jesus' love, compassion, 
if I want to reach them with the gospel, if I, if I want the truth of God to impact the lives of others, I won't judge, I won't condemn, I won't criticize, all those things that Jesus says we're not to do because you can't judge someone and love them. God loves you. He loves you so much, but he doesn't judge you. He doesn't condemn you. He doesn't criticize you. He waits for you to come back to him, and then he forgives you. and He restores you. And it's the same with others. If we judge, if we condemn, if we speak against, if we criticize, that's an absence of love. We can't do those things in love. So, you see, it's ultimately always a matter of the nature and disposition of our hearts. Are we so thankful for the love of God, for his acceptance that he has made us blameless, holy, perfect forever, so that we can be part of his heaven? Not, not simply in the future when we die and leave this earth, but now, what Jesus is actually talking to the people and to his disciples about in the Gospels is what it means to live the heavenly life here on earth. Yes, we will live it imperfectly, and then when we die, we will know the perfection of his glory. But you see, heaven is for those who are seeking first to live heaven here on earth. And God has brought us into his kingdom. He has done that already so that now we live the life of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And the wonderful thing, beloved, is this, that God has given us all the riches and resources that we need to enable us to do this. He has put his spirit within us. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. So we can't turn round to God and say, I couldn't do it. I, I, I didn't have the wherewithal. I didn't have the resources. God says, yes, you did. The very first minute that you were saved, all those things became true for you. Now, you might not have realized all of that, Many of you might be receiving fresh revelation as I'm speaking. Others, what I'm saying just confirms what you know, but is always a challenge. Well, are you living in what you know? Because it's not what you know that matters in the Christian life, but what you do with what you know. That we're actually putting the word of God into practice, not because we ought, but because we want to. But just as God chose you, he wanted to love you, wanted to save you, wanted to come and live in you, wanted to forgive you. He wanted to make you holy, wanted to make you righteous. He wanted to make you acceptable in his sight. He wanted to give you the gift of his spirit. He wanted to give you the gift of the kingdom of heaven to be in you and among you as he wanted all that. So he wants you to want him and to want more of him and more of those truths to impact your natural, your soul life. 
and you want more of that life to flow out of you as a river of living water to bless and touch the lives of all the others around you. Will you pray with me now? Just close your eyes. Wherever you are, just know the Lord's presence is with you. You can never run away from him. You can never get out of his presence. He's always with you. Can you thank him? Lord, I thank you for all those truths of the first minute. Thank you that you forgive all my sins. You cleanse me from all unrighteousness and restore me to that place of righteousness, of total acceptance in your sight. Thank you that you forgive and wash out of my life now all the unholiness, restoring me to that holiness that I have in Christ. Thank you, Lord, that all the imperfections of my life do not destroy your acceptance of me or the truth that you make me perfect forever. And I accept that that's the spiritual truth about me. I thank you, Lord, for the precious gift of your spirit. I thank you for the precious gift of your kingdom. And I thank you, Lord, that you forgive me and you restore me. Now, Lord, I thank you for all that you have already done in my life. You've already changed and transformed me from one degree of glory to another. But, Lord, I see there is so much more that you want to do in me. Thank you for all the ways in which you've used me to touch the lives of others with your love, with your life, with your power, with your healing, with your grace, your mercy. Oh, but Lord, I see there's, there's so many more ways in which your love could be expressed in my life, in the way I think, in the attitudes I have, in my relationships, in what I say, in what I do. So much more of Christ in me can be revealed through me. And what I say to you today, Lord, is that is what I want. It's not just what ought to happen. That is what I want. So I'm saying to you now, I want you to do in my life whatever is necessary in order that that might be fulfilled. That more and more of that great divine eternal love will be mirrored, reflected in my life and will pour out of me and will produce much lasting fruit for your glory because of the ways in which that love embraces others. Thank you, Lord, that you have forgiven any sense in which I have judged, criticized, condemned others, spoken against them, thought myself more righteous, better, that I've been proud, forgive all those things, I realize they've got nothing to do with the right attitude of being who I am in Christ. 
And I thank you, Lord, for that transforming work of your love in my heart and life. And I dare to believe, Lord, that as a result of what you're saying to me today, more of that love is now going to be pouring out of my life, impacting the lives of more and more other people, bearing much fruit for the glory, honor, and praise of your holy name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources by Kingdom Faith and for our other audio and video podcasts, please visit kingdomfaith.com forward slash Yorkshire.